0: Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host, Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have the great pleasure of having a conversation uh, on a topic that I knew very little about three months ago, but it's something that just keeps popping up in the energy world. And that topic is... Cryptocurrency, crypto mining, the the amount of energy, I guess, that crypto miners are using, how they're interfacing with electric companies, sort of what their needs are. So I think we're going to do a series of discussions about what's going on with crypto and energy. But this is our first one. And I've invited a few experts into the discussion that spend time on this every single day. First, I'm going to turn to Tom Mapes, who is the senior policy analyst at the Digital Chamber. Tom? Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start at the beginning. What on earth is the digital chamber? What's your role there and what is the focus of your organization?
1: So the Digital Chamber was established by our our president, Perianne Boring, in 2014. We're the first and largest blockchain trade association in the country. And the the mission of the Digital Chamber is to promote the acceptance and use of digital assets and blockchain technologies, both nationwide and and throughout the world. We're based out of Washington, D.C. and obviously very focused on public policy and government affairs. My particular role is I am tasked with leading our mining initiative, which we stood up last July. And my background prior to this, I was at the Department of Energy. And prior to that, was on Capitol Hill, worked for a, a few members uh, focused on energy policy.
0: We're also yeah. joined at this discussion by uh, Fred Thiel, who's the chairman and CEO of Marathon Digital Holdings, one of the major leaders and one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin in the country. Can you explain for the audience, in as basic terms as possible, what blockchain technology is and then how
2: cryptocurrency works on that blockchain? Sure. Thank you. So blockchain technology, think of it as like a chain, there are links, individual links, and each link is tied to the link prior to it. And blockchain technologies have a feature, which is immutability, meaning you can't change anything in the chain, because if you change one thing, the rest of the chain becomes invalid. And that has to do with a technology concept called a hash, which is basically a mathematical formula. You take all of the information that's in each link, each block, if you would, and you do a calculation on it and you use that as the seed for the next block. And so if you change something in a prior block, all of the other block seeds will become invalid. And so you can show that somebody tried to change something. So it makes that ledger immutable or it's like writing in indelible ink, essentially. And a blockchain ledger, is like an accounting ledger you have transactions that are in each block and you have a certain number of transactions per block and what bitcoin miners do and what marathon does is we process transactions we assemble them into blocks then we calculate this mathematical proof to generate the hash and then if we do that faster than anybody else and we get the right answer to that math problem then we are a reward by the blockchain the Bitcoin blockchain who pays us then in, in Bitcoin and that's how we mine Bitcoin we're essentially paid by the blockchain to process these transactions just like a bank processes transaction and because lots of miners are doing it at the same time there are lots of copies of this all over the place and so it's not like somebody can try and change one ledger all the other ones would be out of sync with that so it's a Highly, highly secure way of storing data. And uh, the Bitcoin blockchain is really designed as a ledger system to track ownership. So think of it as like bank accounts. There's a wallet, it has so many Bitcoin in it. It sends some Bitcoin to another wallet, and then those Bitcoin are transferred. And all those transactions are registered on the blockchain. And Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency is just a unit of account. Think of it as just like dollars are a unit of account, Bitcoins are a unit of account. And that's how people track. How much somebody holds on the bitcoin blockchain hopefully that was helpful super helpful it's
0: useful for me to hear it that way i'm going to go back to you for a moment tom and just ask about crypto mining and energy costs as i was hearing fred explain the blockchain there's a lot that's going on as these transactions are being validated as with most things anytime you are doing a lot of things with machines you're using a bunch of electricity how significant of a cost is energy for crypto miners.
1: Ultimately, it's, it's one of the largest, if not the largest costs for these miners. And it's a great utility for the, to optimize energy use as a whole, as all these miners use otherwise stranded energy and they look for the cheapest option. A lot of times this renewable option, which um, as things progress over time, will help lead to this energy transition as a whole. So the miners go to the source, utilize the stranded energy, and they will help with this energy transition to a more sustainable energy operation in the long term.
0: I think of there being really three costs, potentially four substantial costs. when it comes to actually mining or validating these transactions, So, view it as the land and the location, the lease, like where you are physically located, the equipment, the mining equipment itself, the energy costs. And then the last variable, I guess, to me, at least seems to be just the value of the currency, which clearly has impact on, on what you do. That's not really a cost. It's more just like a risk, I guess. Do you think that's right? Like are those the primary inputs and in, in costs that you're looking at or are there others that I'm just not thinking about?
2: Essentially you covered it. If you're going to be a Bitcoin miner, you have to have access to power and a lot of power. <clears throat> you have to have access to miners, ideally a lot of miners. You have to have the capital to pay for all that and then you have to have a place to do that. So they're kind of four ingredients if you would that go into it. The land, the location is, think of it as a one-time cost. You're either acquiring the land or you're signing a lease for the land. The power is an ongoing recurring cost. That's one of your single largest costs to operate a Bitcoin mine operation. And the miners are a big capital expenditure. And what makes the Bitcoin network so secure is that it requires so much capital to mine Bitcoin that If you wanted to try and control enough of the Bitcoin network so you could potentially drive transactions that you preferred over what everybody else is trying to do, manipulating the blockchain in a way, you would have to have billions and billions and billions of dollars to do it. So essentially, the amount of energy that Bitcoin uses and the high cost of miners, Apex, are what make it so secure. Okay,
0: that that makes sense. There are a bunch of players in this marketplace. So... Therefore, it's hard to manipulate this transaction. And all of you miners, what are you doing? You're out there fighting over the finite number of coin that can be provided in any given day. And you're trying to yep. do it faster and cheaper, right? So yeah, your game is to figure out how to reduce all your costs
2: and energy is a big one. So yep. let's figure out how to reduce it, right? Yep, absolutely. You know, cool. at, the, at the same time, miners play a very important role for the energy grid. And there's been a lot of misunderstandings. People think, oh, Bitcoin miners use more energy than the country of Sweden or country of Austria, or choose the country that you want. In reality, Bitcoin miners use 0.2% of the energy that's generated globally on an annual basis, which is less than the amount of electricity we use for Christmas lights during the holidays. And it's less than the energy that Google and Facebook and others use in their data centers. So you have to put it in relationship to that. But what Bitcoin miners do better than anybody else in the world or any other industry or capability is we provide electrical generators with effectively a power capacitor. You have, for example, a renewable energy operator in West Texas. They may have 500 megawatts of renewable energy. If you look at the way the grid consumes energy, the grid is first going to use baseload power, nuclear, then coal, typically nat gas, then the interruptible, intermittent, which is solar and wind. What Bitcoin miners can do is we can partner together with a wind or solar operator, who's continually getting curtailed by the grid because typically they're producing energy at times when the grid doesn't need it. And we can be a baseload customer of theirs behind the meter, consuming all their excess energy that they don't have to feed to the grid. And then whenever the grid needs more, we can shut down in 10 minutes and give 200 megawatts of power, for example into the grid and it's a huge benefit to the grid because it's like a capacitor for the grid there's excess capacity and for the renewable energy providers we provide a revenue stream for them that they otherwise wouldn't have and so they otherwise wouldn't have an incentive to build more capacity and if we're ever going to go through an energy transition in the u.s successfully we need to build out lots of renewable energy and they need to have a financial incentive to do it that is different from government subsidies. And Bitcoin miners provide that subsidy effectively. Yeah, so you're a demand
0: response customer. When I yep,
2: need the power exactly.
0: shut you down.
2: And you guys are cool with it
0: because yep. your energy prices are going to shoot through the roof that you would shed anyways. Exactly. Uh, so it makes it makes sense in that front. All right,
1: well, that, that's... I, Can I add one thing to Fred's point is, and I think it's kind of gets lost in the conversation as well, and it's particular pertinent to EI and your group, is this idea that the use of electricity, I think you have to separate the use of electricity versus emissions conversation because the use of electricity should be seen as a net positive. This industry using over 60% sustainable energy, there's no other industry that really even comes close to that. So I just like pointing out the difference between electricity usage and the potential emissions concerns.
0: Yeah, I'm not a professional in it, but I do spend some time with the financial community. I mean, it sounds like a financing tool to be honest. If I've got an off-taker who is going to pay me some money and will buy the power when I can't sell it for a lot more in the wholesale market, cool. That's kind of like cash flow that helps me. The the question I was going to ask those as follow up is, all right, so that's how you structure the deal. It's just a bilateral contract with the generator. That makes sense as a way to structure things in Texas. Have you had any experience with those structured deals in vertically integrated markets, places that exist outside of ISO or ITO,
2: front? We mine primarily in Montana, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Texas. And we're going to expand beyond Texas as well. Obviously Texas has lots of advantages for mining because of ERICOT, how it works and the unregulated nature of the marketplace. We looked at mining in New York. That is a very difficult state to mine in because you have grid congestion issues and then you have a political and regulatory environment where they want to foment the use of renewable energy, but because of grid congestion, they can't get the renewable energy to where it needs to be consumed. And I think this is another part of the conversation that gets lost is that people think, well, you can transport electricity from New York to San Francisco, no problem. What's the issue? Well, you can't. There's a huge amount of energy that's wasted and lost, and by doing Bitcoin mining, like we do it at the point of power generation, we essentially eliminate a huge amount of power loss that otherwise would be wasted that we can instead consume. And at the same time, we provide an incentive for renewable energy providers or energy providers to really locate energy generation where the cost to generate is the lowest, even though they don't have a consumer for that energy outside of us, it gives them a reason to add more capacity. The big problem is network congestion in the grid. Right. Uh, you know, right. That happens in Texas, in the South sector, for example. You have it in other states. In New York, East-West congestion is horrible. North-South is, works fine, but East-West is horrible. And all the renewable is coming on the East side right. of New York, and they can't get it to New York City. And people think that's a problem because Bitcoin miners are using the energy, in the South the case. So. Can you talk
0: a little bit about those deals in Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota? I mean, to the extent there's stuff you could share about how that works, because those are two vertically integrated states.
2: Again, our model is unique in that we operate, we ideally operate behind the meter. So we partner with the generator and take primarily power from behind the meter. So we're not touching the grid. In the case of our operations in Montana, we have no grid energy at all. It's all behind the meter from a generator. So it gives us an advantage in that we're not having to go into the regulated market at all. Now, in Nebraska, we are taking energy off the grid. And in that case, the agreements work essentially not too dissimilarly from Texas in that you know, there's a voluntary curtailment demand response that goes into it. We're very happy to comply with whatever the, the grid operators need uh, for power is and shut down for a few hours a day, whatever it is that they need to uh, top up the grid. we We haven't had really any situations where there have been difficulties, but that's also because we choose marketplaces where... They're friendly to and open to Bitcoin mining. And you know, we don't want to go into any communities or areas where there's going to be any animosity or dislike or where what we do is in any way going you know, to disturb people because we believe in being good corporate citizens.
0: Tom, I'm going to go back to you for a minute.
1: From a policy perspective,
0: what are you hearing from your members? Where are the priorities? What are they trying to achieve?
1: Right now, our main focus is on the education to policymakers, the administration, other key stakeholders within the political world. Right now, on the mining front, there's no pointed legislation. It's building up to that way. And a couple recent examples of those are the White House's executive order that just recently came out, OSTP. Office of Science Technology Policy recently came out with a request for information that was a follow-on to the executive order. The SEC just came out with a disclosure for investor comment period. Those were both within the past week or so. It's examples like that as we continue the education piece, having our members get to these policymakers, get to these regulators, explain the opportunity that mining has for United States policy particularly this administration, the ESG angle already is a huge focus. So it's only going to continue on energy being one of the most regulated, if not the most regulated industry in the world. You you better believe that ultimately as mining is an energy play of sorts, it's going to boil up to the top and and it's going to become a real focus here for a lot of these policymakers. So it's getting in early, having these key discussions, building these relationships and, and explaining to these key stakeholders about the opportunities for this to help out with energy transition, to help out with these stranded energy opportunities. So that's kind of our main focus. New York's been a good microcosm of the policy front. Recently in their state legislature, they offered a potential moratorium passed last year, came back up this year and the industry as a whole has come out with the focus of let's take a look at this, really learn how this industry can work with public policy and, and be a net benefit.
0: Fred, I want to turn to you as we wrap up, as you're trying to figure out the next deals you're going to structure other states, you might want to go next. What are you looking for in an energy partner to make one of these deals work?
2: Well, start off ample supply of power that could be defined as excess, meaning a generator has an oversupply of energy. And as you and your audience are all well aware, you have to maximize your ability to generate to meet peak demand. But if you don't have peak demand for many hours a day, there's a lot of underutilized energy. So we're looking for providers that have ample excess generation capacity or who are building excess generation capacity who want to have a base load customer, typically located on site or adjacent to the generation site, operating behind the meter where there is, in the case of renewable providers, there is access to be able to pull load from the grid at times when that renewable interruptible source isn't operating, if that's an option. But we're also looking at deals in some parts of the world because of the climate, for example, if we look at the Middle East, there are countries there where during the summertime where it's 105 degrees, they need to be able to provide, I'll just use this as a round number, say four gigawatts of power, but the other nine months of the year, they only need one gigawatt of power. So what do you do with that three gigawatt difference for those nine months? Well, you could run a lot of Bitcoin miners on it, for period of the year where they're not using that load. So we're looking for opportunities where there's there's this imbalance in supply and demand where we can provide base load demand that makes it economically more feasible for the operator to build out even more capacity. We're also looking for operators who are a little bit more on the leading edge and wanting to look at energy storage and alternative energy means. And what do I mean by alternative energy? So for example, a solar or a wind operator who has let's say half a gigawatt, may want to put 200 megawatts to Bitcoin mining and take the excess that they have when it's not being used to electrolyze hydrogen. And then when the wind or sun isn't operating, they can run hydrogen, which is 100% clean to generate capacity and become more of a baseload provider of energy. So it's a evolutionary cycle for the power providers to grow into taking what is normally an intermittent generation and making it more baseload. And I think that's how we evolved the grid in this country very effectively. We're talking to some of the leading renewable energy providers who themselves want to get into the Bitcoin mining business. They view this as a great way to balance their own businesses. And so they're very open to investing in the infrastructure for the hosting. Think of it as the data centers. So we're seeing now power companies wanting to co-invest in the infrastructure and partner with us on the mining operations. Some of them are realize the opportunity and want to become miners themselves, though maybe they don't want to take the full risk that we do with all the CapEx involved, but maybe they want to partner. And in partnership, they want to provide subsidized power to us such that they can earn a portion of the revenue streams from the mining operation. And so you're seeing joint ventures starting to happen now where the miner and the power company are becoming close partners as opposed to customer vendor. And I think that's where this business is evolving. And I've given presentations on this topic for the past year where I firmly believe that the power companies are going to become the biggest Bitcoin miners in the world.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I really appreciate the conversation and time, Fred and Tom. This is the first in a series of discussions. I appreciate you joining us and and look forward to continued discussions down the road. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.e.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.